0: Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G O m-a-r-k-e-t-s dot com slash podcast or take a look at the GoMarkets suite of products at gomarkets.com.
1: Go markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the Managing Director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of GoMarkets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com.
0: My guest this week is Tim Dickinson, General Manager of Assembly Payments. Tim you're in rural Australia somewhere. Where are you? Uh, I'm in a a suburb
1: called Venus Bay, which is about two to two and a half hours out of Melbourne.
0: Okay. Why there?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> coronavirus affected my other plans, so um, I'm I'm down here at the moment because I've got a, a beach house, so I've I've moved into it permanently. Um, oh wow! Until coronavirus lets people open airports and borders again, because my my plan is to actually move to Singapore at some point. So.
0: Oh wow. Okay. So, you around around the time that this this was kicking off, you were thinking about moving to Singapore.
1: All my stuff is
0: packed in boxes. Um, oh
1: my god! All my possessions have been moved elsewhere, and, and yeah. So we've um, unpacked a few boxes, but most of it's still packed away. Yeah.
0: When did you first like start to notice that this thing was serious? Like, I, I know just for our own work, um, being involved in the markets, um, I probably started noticing. That last week of December and then definitely by January 2nd, there was, I think, an article by the Associated Press about it yeah, saying we- that this, this thing is serious. And then, you know, we had these run on, the run on toilet paper in Japan, then Singapore. And I think by mid-Feb, I was like, okay, this is very, very, very serious. Um, what was it like for you? Yeah, so we've been working with um,
1: Standard Chartered in Singapore a lot of last year and quite a lot this year. Um, (laughs) and They're actually a new investment partner of ours, but we were setting all of that up late last year and early this year. And so we kind of, we got to see what it was like on the ground in in Singapore. And I was actually in Singapore in January and February um, and flew from there to Munich and back. And as we're flying out to go and, do a few things, we're hearing in the media reports of this thing called, you know, a coronavirus and it's growing in Wuhan. And I was like, oh, what's this coronavirus thing? And then by the time we got back to Singapore, airports had all the sensors in place. You know, they were starting to lock things down and, and stuff. Ooh. So get back to Melbourne, walk through the airport like nothing's happening. A week later, the world starts to change. And so it was it was quite bizarre kind of seeing that unfold in the air almost.
0: What, why? Um, why Singapore? What intrigues you about it? Um, I've I've actually always
1: personally um, loved Singapore. I've been there eight times. Wow. Um, once for a holiday, and a lot of people say, well, what did you what did you do in Singapore for <laughs> two weeks?" And it's like there's a lot to see actually, and yeah. um, I, I like to holiday on foot, and so I like to go and see places just by walking around and exploring them. And, and Singapore's such a safe place that you don't have to worry too much about those things, and so you get to kind of see lots of the nooks and crannies and some of the old you know, brick walls and things in Singapore kind of being taken over by the jungle and there's old forts they have gone in parks and a lot of people don't tend to go to them and things. And and I think it's an absolutely fascinating place because it's this modern world sitting on top of this old jungle with a big, rich history. And a lot of it on the outside you don't see until you actually get around on foot.
0: When was the first time you went to Singapore? Oh, that's casting me back. Um, (laughs) It would be maybe five years ago. Five years. Okay, there you go. Wow. Yeah, Singapore is... um, I don't know anyone in Australia who dislikes Singapore. Like, I know what you mean when people say, "Oh, what would you do for a holiday there?" I remember my um, my fiance, her her pa- parents and um, her family would go to Marina Bay Sands. Is it? Yep. Yeah. So back when they first built the artificial um, island or whatever it is back in the nineties, they would go there for a holiday because they thought it was this amazing thing. Um, but uh, I I do lo- I love how clean it is there, and the food the food and the cultural element is what gets me I do I do like that um, you know, I, I love the the philosophy that you can kind of see when you're there the whole you know return the jungle
1: to the city and you know man living within its limits and you know we kind of we, we take over a place when we move in and we chop down all the trees and you kind of look at Singapore as maybe a vision of the future for future cities elsewhere and how we might return some of the ecology to these places and make our cities more livable and just simple things like cleaning the air and making it nice to look at are you know, great benefits for, for everybody.
0: You, you've got quite a, um, quite a solid fintech career. You, uh, like myself, you studied at Swimmern. I think you originally did um, computing then finance um, and you've worked on both the, the tech and the sales side of businesses in the software space. I guess prior to assembly, you held a lot of technical sales roles in particular, and I like for you what seems as the most obvious highlight and lowlight of migrating from that sort of uh, role to what you are doing now at Assembly. Yeah, so
1: t- technical sales, or sales engineering, or pre-sales, or whatever people call it, it's. Um, I think it is the most enjoyable job that you can have at a tech company. Um, really? You are not just on the front line in terms of engaging with the customer. You're also the person helping them solve the problem. And so you usually partnered with a salesperson who, who has those sticky conversations around cost and timeline and all the hard bits. Um, and then you kind of get to just focus on the fun bit. And so I always enjoyed that and, you know, get to work with you know global corporates that, you know, you wouldn't otherwise get to work with in this capacity. And you do things with them on a, a two-week period, a four-week period. At the end of it, you've solved a problem for them. You move on to the next one. And so you just get to iterate through the really fun stuff. Um, And that was actually what attracted me to assembly um, initially was the ability to work with a whole lot of customers doing really cool stuff. And I'd I'd come from enterprise customers. So, you know, the the top end of town, right? So, you know, you tell energy companies, FMCGs and so on. Um, And helping them solve a problem is great. But when you work at somewhere like assembly in the early days, you help people build a business and, you know, change the game, disrupt an industry. And it's such a different feeling when you're there. It's, it's, it's a lot harder for sure because you're working with people who are, you know, future titans in their field, and we've got a few customers who, you know, in the early days we started with them, they were just a dude on their own, and now they're you know CEO of a company of sixty people. They're growing globally, and, and that stuff's really exciting to have been a part of. You don't really get that when you work in, in the corporate space, and and that's what what I really loved about you know Assembly to begin with.
0: What? Well, why um, finance or why why tech and fi- that sort of convergence of tech. And finance, yeah. Like so mo- I, most most people like yourself would have gone straight down like the SaaS route. Yeah,
1: so that's where I came from. So SaaS is my
0: yeah. my
1: past. Yeah. So um, I, I love the SaaS model. It was always appealed to me. I, I got involved in the internet, you know, when I was about sixteen, back in high school. I think about the same time, a lot of people get involved. And, and back then, it was the the glory days of Microsoft. They were the dominant player on the planet, and you know, this little thing called Linux was was coming up and everyone was like, oh, what's this Linux thing? Is it just for nerds? And as you kind of got <laughs> used to it, you're like, it actually, you, know, you watched it change the world. And, you know, you went from a, a point in time where a single percentage digit of the internet was run on Unix servers to the point now where almost all of it is. And so you just watch these things emerge and you get to be part of that that growth. And, and I was always a great lover of the technical aspect. And, you know, internet history is one of my favorite topics and, and things like that. And and as you kind of see these things emerge, you think, all right, well, we've got we've got this telecommunications network spanning the globe. We've built this service on top of it. Everyone can engage now. The web browser is a thing. How much more innovation can we have around engagement? What comes next? And so then looking at things that you know might come next, you think we're going to change our financial system. We have to. At the moment, we've got, you know, we still have paper checks and all these things. They have to change too. And so you then start to look at what's coming. And the internet for me was a platform for humanity. And you start to look at all the different aspects of human society and, and how we change the world around us. And, you know, moving finance and commerce online was a logical next step. And so I then started to just study things like economics in my own time and, and so on. And I, I didn't do a degree in economics. Um, I would have always liked to, but a few people warned me off it. So I kind of avoided <laughs> it their advice. Um, and so I, I stuck to computing and commerce. Um, yeah. And in doing so, you kind of then understand that as you bridge those two things, there are opportunities in many of those spaces are things like, you know, fintechs and, and payment tech and things like that. So, for me, it was a, a logical next step.
0: What, what did you think you were going to be when you were a kid?
1: Uh, a, an astronaut, um, obviously. I think okay. children think that at one point in time. Um, then it was a paleontologist. Um, I really liked dinosaurs and rocks. Um, and then I had no idea for about 20 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> isn't that like most of us though yeah i think that's that's, how it goes, yeah. that's life you you only really start working it out like 25 plus you start to get a fair idea but um it's interesting that you had that passion that originally came from the internet and that just sort of moved into the financial system now it's quite remarkable to think where the financial system is now versus even five years ago
1: yeah well, um, it, right yeah it's it's gone leaps and bounds like even just the the visual aspects of some of these things like the neobanks that have emerged in the last two to three years, the, yeah. the changes they've brought in the user experience with banking. You, you look at it and you think, I can't bank another way now.
0: Yeah. Obviously, running a another podcast, we speak to people in in the media space quite a lot and we're talking to probably like Australia's best radio futurist and he, he does a lot of talks for the ABC and so forth, um, Podfest, all these sort of major events throughout the year. Uh, does a lot of work in the UK with the BBC and uh, he was telling me that he purely banks via Up now yep. and I was blown away and he's probably like close to, he'd probably be like mid-40s. Yep. And I, it just, uh, that to me, I think it's when you start seeing things like when my mum started telling me that she was using Uber for this, for the first time and you start to get a sense that, okay, this stuff is accelerating faster than people think. My, um. my
1: joking view on that is is as soon as my parents tell me about something I've been using, I need to find something else to use. <laughs> 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 but no, I, know- I think it's it's right. Like you've got you know apps like you know Spaceship Voyager and you know Acorns and Rays and things, kind of changing people's understandings of, of fintech. And then you've got you know the apps, the eighty six four hundred and so on, and and they're all kind of changing the space in a way where consumers can now start to see the benefit of some of the changes been going in the background for so long and. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I work in this space, right? So I, I get really nerdy about the new payments platform and you know, how awesome yeah. I think it is. And I try to explain it to my, to my mom. And she's just like, I just don't know what you do. What is, what is this thing? And I was like, let me show you. And so I sent her a dollar in 10 seconds. And she goes, oh, that's really clever. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it, mum. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, what I do. Yeah, it's like for me, it's, I could you know, talk for days about it. And for most people, it's like, oh, yeah, cool. That's out of my way now. What next?
0: yeah do you like if you think about your parents, is there a particular lesson that you would learnt from them that you've you've been able to apply in your career, and they could have just told you directly or you might have seen it indirectly as well:
1: yeah I, I always I always remember something my old man used to tell me when when I was was younger, and he still tells me when I see him. but one of the, the things I kind of looked at when I was a kid is I used to say to him, "You know what happens when you finish school?" And he would then say, "Well, that's when you start learning." And I was like, I thought about that and I was like, that's that's really annoying because I want to finish this thing. I, I don't want to always be at school and, and stuff. And, and so, he was kind of preparing me for a life of always learning things. And so, that kind of fed my interest in, you know, the internet and economics and things and just kind of pursuing interest outside of either my job or the thing I was, you know, studying, you know, formally. And so, that's always kind of fed me a lot. And, you know, I subscribed to Economist and Harvard Business Review and things and always... Eager to get information as quickly as I possibly can, but in a almost long form journalism type way as well, because I, I really enjoy the story. I don't just like you know short snippets of news that I can consume in thirty seconds. I like to sit down for you know, four hours and, and really get into it. Yeah,
0: no sound grabs here. It's yeah. funny. I was a guest that we had on last week. We were talking. We we're just laughing about how much of um, particularly during this coronavirus stuff, the media is just looking for a, a sound grab. The thing at the moment, because he's in sort of economic media is um you know how long what's going to the next 6 months look like how long for the recovery recession this recession that like it's it's always so funny how people are looking for those grabs and I agree with you I think um getting deeper uh into a topic is what I love I think for me it was always I think when I found Wikipedia at like 14 15 yeah in a in a way that wasn't just like, oh, okay, just look up this topic because your parents told you to look it up. It's like this is a topic you're genuinely interested in. And for me, it started off with um, history. History is what got my interest uh, to learn. And so uh, it's it's good to hear that. Um, I've got to ask as GM of a of a business like assembly, I think um, as I was saying before, I I came to know about assembly as a client um, in another role. And you guys, I think, and at least in your role, you're obviously in charge of guiding the day to day of assembly payments. And I was curious, where do you think your personality leads to a strong suit, as sort of a a generalist, someone that can sort of be a uh, a master of none, so to speak, but but able to to handle a lot of things on a day to day.
1: Yeah, I've always liked a, a saying is that generalists learn more and more about less and less so they know absolutely everything about nothing or nothing about everything and I've always kind of thought that's such a shame to kind of see the generalist in that light of that over time they become yeah. more useful but less useful at the same time it's it's an interesting spot to be in right is, is having a, a breadth and enough depth to know where to make calls and, and where to jump in and change things or improve things or help people and and where to just leave people alone because they do actually know a lot more than you do and, mm. and that's for me really tough because I I love the detail. I love the nitty-gritty. I like when things don't work because I can get in and understand it better and, and I've, I've, you know, got heaps of people in the business around me that understand everything I understand in greater depth and that's always a challenge because I come from a technical background and I like to know how it works but that doesn't actually help me build a successful business and so you've got to just kind of step back sometimes and go, you know what? Here's here's what I think. You tell me whether or not I'm right and so it's to we- kind of become a bit of a joke internally is that I'll kind of say to people, look, I have no idea how this works but
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think then that client-facing roles have helped into, into what is today a, a very different role?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I had a chat with uh, an ally of ours that we used to share an office space with when we when were headquartered in Collingwood and, and he said one of the interesting things that happen when you move from kind of being a, you know, a key influencer across the business and, and actually doing stuff than helping other people do stuff is you miss doing stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's how that's <laughs> I'm feeling right now. And so one of the things I've, I've made sure I continue to do as much as I possibly can is engage with customers. Um, uh-huh. and, and having, you know, talked to over 300 different companies in the time I've been here to kind of talk them through, you know, what they're trying to do, how they think they can change the world, you know, what... Minute payment problem they've got that we can help with. You know, whether it's you know a great breadth of a project and they're planting their flag on another planet, so to speak, or whether they're just dropping cost out of something, you, you still get to kind of expose yourself to that, and you carry that legacy with you, right? So a lot of the customers know me personally, and yeah, I, I really like that. And so when we get new customers, I, I try to make an effort to go and, and say hi to them, or at least call them up and and be interested in what they're doing. Because if I don't know what they're doing and how they're using my my product or services or how they're engaging with my team,
0: how do I know that it's getting any better? And it's it's an interesting thing uh, you saying that because um, actually part of my research when I was looking you up and learning about your career and so forth, there's actually a few you know there's quite a few support articles that you've that you've answered questions on or spoken about in the past. So I can sort of see how that would work with customers if someone's looking for a specific problem and solution on their on the support service, they would uh, I guess learn about you indirectly as well. Yeah, so,
1: and that's. That's a, some of that was, was necessary. We just, we needed to write things down. So I wrote them down, but some yeah. of was also I am uniquely interested in this space and, and I like explaining it in a way. And I've actually, one of the, the things I've, I've handed to my team lately is, is can someone please take over writing of the documentation? Cause are <laughs> seeing my face on all of it, but, but there's, you know, there's a an interesting part in that, in that I, I really like Ben Horowitz and, you know, I like reading all his stuff and, and following him and, and one of his, you know, principles is that he tries to remain as close to the business and customers as he can because he wants to be involved. He doesn't want to just stand back and tell people what to do and, and, you know, top down kind of thing. He needs to know what's going on. And I I love to know what's going on, but I also love to be able to influence it. So just knowing what's happening isn't enough. I like to be able to get in there and improve it. And, you know, and, and sometimes my team will bring me things that that normally they, they probably could have worked out on their own. And sometimes I'm I'm wondering if they're doing it to entertain me or if they actually like me involved. And and I do like that aspect of being a generalist is you you do still get dragged into the detail from time to time and you know I I don't want to give that up, right? That's that's part yeah. of what I love.
0: Yeah, it's part of part it seems to be part of your personality. Mm. Um you mentioned before about the workload and what it looks like today as a GM. Um you know, obviously you'd be focused on integrating teams, making sure ducks are in a row, um, conversing between the different teams and making sure people are working together i guess i'm curious what does sort of um what is your process look like what do what are the key measures for you as a generalist now
1: yeah so we are actually looking at at the moment organizational design and and how we we, we change right. as we expand internationally so you know, we're looking at you know targeting multiple new markets over the next five, uh, five years and we're thinking of you know 15 on the short list and, and many more to come but you look at that and you think what what changes does that you know, necessitating the business in terms of how teams are structured and who people talk to day to day, even who they report to, who they sit next to. All of these things, you know, influence how enjoyable people find their time at work and how productive they are, how much they get done, how many roadblocks you've introduced, do you have too much process? And and these things, I think, are a challenge for every single business, but especially ones in in our space who, you know, are, are chasing growth at a rapid rate and, you know, they're doubling year on year and things like that. And and that does change the way you look at these things. And there, there are some great examples out there of organizations who really broke it down to some of the simple things. And one of the pieces of advice that you get in a lot of literature that you read or a lot of things, and you know, the Spotify model, for example, is one that I think a lot of people like, that the tribes and squads thing. It's, it's easy to read about. It sounds like it solves a lot of problems. Um, and that worked really well for Spotify. But if you go back to what they were trying to achieve, it is mostly around information flow and making sure that information flows where it needs to in the most efficient way. And you're not introducing barriers to that information flow. And one mm-hmm. of the things that you, you do when you plan things is, is you necessarily create something that someone won't like, or that will be broken or wrong by the time you've done it. And sometimes you've got to, when you, you know, change an organizational design or, or even build a product or something, you've got to build in the ability for it to change and adapt. And I think that's the thing that for me really attracted me to the fintech space and, you're watching these people grow right and like zip is a great story to see their growth it's been phenomenal to, to you know be a part of that essentially sitting on the outside watching it but kind of knowing these people locally and things and, and seeing that unfold and you just you, you think from the outside how did they do this how did they go from you know 10 people to 100 to 200 and, and so on and and how did they you know make sure that the revenue grew you know disproportionately because you do want revenue growth to be disproportionate to headcount and things and, and for me that's a, an absolutely fascinating space that where we're delving into a lot right now because we're trying to expand to different countries and, you know, we need teams in places we've never had them before, in time zones we're not used to dealing with. You know, do you have teams work across time zones and is that more or less efficient? And I think it's a it's a really good problem for us to be having.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I was looking at that and obviously I think um, you guys have raised about, oh, I don't know if this, this number is correct, but it was on LinkedIn around US $30 million to date. I know Westpac owns an equity stake. In assembly, and I think it was roughly around Feb that I was reading you guys have partnered with um, Standard Chartered to launch internationally, and so it's interesting to hear you talk about you know that short list of of fifteen countries that you're considering launching into. I I guess I'm curious. I remember speaking to Ethan from July, who's probably one of uh, another group of well-known Australian-based startups. Uh, obviously they're more in the e-commerce space, and the way that they were funded by one partner has meant that they don't have to grow for the sake of growth What's what's the feeling on that internally is is assembly, is assembly thinking we just have to grow no matter what what's sort of the mindset around growth that you often see in, uh, in the VC world
1: yeah so there's, i mean theres there's many forms of growth. Right, and there's, I think that's a, a hot topic right now is, as governments look at dealing with coronavirus yeah. too. They're, they're working out, you know, do we have our economy structured the right way to handle things like this, given that we've just had a whole bunch of people put out of work and the state is now stepping in to support them, are our economic models the correct one? And, and you then look at, you know, yourself as a, a person in the business and work out, you know, are we chasing things in the right way for the right reasons? And I think partnering with, with big global banks like Standard Chartered really gives us a leg up in that space because they've already got a bunch of you know, access to market footprint and they've done the growth. So we can come in and, and augment that. And so we're not laying all the foundations ourselves because there are a lot of people that kind of spearheaded some of the pieces we need. We're coming along and bringing in a, a huge efficiency layer to those things. And so I think the, the thing about growth for us is it's got to be it's got to be measured, right? You've got to make sure that you're not just growing for the hell of it because you could outgrow yourself. You want to make sure you're growing in a, in a way that you can sustainably take in the chaos and turn it into order a little bit and, and you know, create some value along the way. Um, but also make sure that when you're going to another country, that the timing is right, that both the market is ready, yeah. that there is a, a base of customers that you can access, that your product is ready and that your team is ready. And so growth for the sake of it, does, I don't think helps anybody, but it's, it's strategic growth is certainly the thing we're after and, and it's got to be sustainable too.
0: Yeah, and I think competitive advantage is, is key to that as well. I know just as a, I guess as a customer of Assembly, you guys seem to operate um, much at a, a level that is very important for a lot of fintech businesses and it's sort of this intermediary that, that laps between uh, different types of organizations and it just makes payment solutions a lot easier and a lot quicker than... The previous providers we've had in the past, and so I guess I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think when you hear from customers is is sort of the key competitive advantage for Assembly?
1: Yeah, so it's it's an interesting space that we're in, right? That you look at, you know, the payments tech space and, and how many players there are, and if you rank the players, you know, globally very few Australian companies are in that global ranking. Right? A lot of them are you know, the European outfits or the American outfits that kind of changed the game and dominated this space and they're now pushing into countries like, like Australia. And someone like us on the ground, um, having a, a big entrant come in who's well-capitalised, looking at the Australian market, you think, are we about to be obliterated? Mm-hmm. So you then kind of look at, well, what is it that we offer that, that people like? And a few of the pieces of what we do are very much around localization. is we want to make sure that when we're doing payments, it's not just spraying credit cards across the internet. We want to make sure that we're doing things that people will actually get value from um, and that we are removing blockers for them, burdens, inefficiencies. We are actually adding value beyond the payment itself. And so payments is just it's just the way. It's not, you know, why we're here. We're here to help people sort out their business so that, you know, they don't have to think about some of these things. And, you know, one of the things we say internally is, you know, we look after the payments so you don't have to, and you can focus on growing your business. Yeah. Um, but the reason we do it is, because we want to help you grow your business and that's what excites us. We want to know, what are you doing? What are you trying to solve? How do you see that working over the next, you know, two, three, four, five years? How can we come with you on that journey? And those are the things that I, I really, really love.
0: Yeah. And it, look, I mean, from my own perspective, I, I, when I was doing the research, it sort of seems to me, uh, you know, we've been talking about essential services for so long and I think payments providers are one of those areas. So you've sort of gotten yourself into really interesting niche that that means that, you know if you can solve a problem like you have and make it so much simpler than it was um people will just throw money at you in a way like people will just say well just take my money and deal with this problem because we're more worried about building our business as you said for the customer in our own niche and i think um i think that really hits that on the head yeah just part, part of our our purpose and mission is to make the payment disappear right and
1: that that sounds funny <laughs> we're in payments right but a measure of our, of our success is if no one knows we're there but the payment happened anyway and and that's kind of what we're we're striving for in this space is we want to make sure that our customers can provide the best experience to their customers um, and that we can kind of help them facilitate that
0: well you you know that's typified by you showing your mother how to transfer a dollar <laughs> like the fact the fact that the fact that she sees it and she goes oh that's it and, and then right, like right. that in and of itself, is, it's sort of like that movie, um, God, what's it called? Is it called Her? The one it's uh, with Joaquin Phoenix and he like falls in love with a bot basically. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like a voice activated bot. And so in a lot of that movie, they show how technology just becomes integrated in parts of life. You know, things that look like ordinary household items are, are driven by tech. And so, that sort of stuff fascinates the crap out of me because it's sort of like that's when tech becomes magic, you know?
1: Well, that's um, it. If you can make it look like magic, you've you've done your job,
0: yeah. Yeah. Now, back on Corona, I know there's a lot that's happened in the last six months. Um, mm. it's, it's obviously the thing on everyone's tongue when we do these talks. We were chatting before uh, off air and you were saying that um, things are wildly busy at the moment. I know... Um, You know, you guys probably would have been under a lot of pressure because, uh, you know, in our business as an example, I think payments went up massively in what would have been like February, March. Obviously, when markets are in turmoil, volatility goes up, volume goes up. I I guess from your perspective, what's what's 2020 been like so far? Yeah, so
1: 2020 was... it's the year where humanity kind of threw some things in the future, right? And there's, you know, vision 2020 (laughs) and the plan for 2020. And this was supposed to be the year where we fix a bunch of things. And, you know, there's climate summits and there's, you know, all these agreements happening and, you know, this year is supposed to be a a key step forward. And, and, you know, the the later part of 2019 throws something in that completely disrupts your plans. And, you know, it's not looking like, you know, the first six months we're going to resolve it. It'll probably continue for the rest of the year and and maybe even into the year. And you then look at those impacts and you think, oh, well, there goes all the hopes and dreams we had. Let's start with some others. And so, you know, thinking on your feet is is what we're you know, is what we're good at as a as a startup and a fintech. And I think there's a lot of stuff in that space where, you know, we, we want to make sure that whatever we're doing this year is is done in a way where we continue to succeed despite what we're up against. And I think as a as a startup, you you kind of naturally fall into that state anyway. And when the coronavirus thing started to unfold, and, and you know, panic started to kind of spread a little bit, and everyone's like, "Oh, you know, thirty percent of the workforce is going to be unemployed," and, and so on, everyone's kind of panicking a little bit. And and you kind of look at, you know, what are the the pieces you have, what space are you in, and and how do you think you're prepared for it? And you know, Adian, for example, released a report that didn't put their payment volume up by thirty eight percent or something ridiculous. And well done to them. I'm not jealous at all. Jeez. But there's like that's that's huge in a you know in a short yeah. time span. That is amazing, and and that indicates that we're in an okay space right now, is we're in the right space to ride this out and, you know, make the most of it, even though that's a, a tough thing to say because people are having a, a proper hard time all over the planet about this. Yeah. Um, and we're very, very lucky, the space that we're in and, you know, the, the timing of these things, you know, for us at, at the moment for trying to grow internationally and, and so on is, is so interesting that we are, we are still growing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, going, on, going back to my on. point earlier, um, an essential service, <laughs> in, the, fi- in yeah. the finance space, I, I think. And I-, I was watching a really good live stream the other day. Uh, Martin North, who's been on the show a few, uh, well, once now, but he will be back in July- June or July, runs a consultancy called Digital Finance Analytics and was probably the founding MD of McKinsey here in Australia. And he sort of covered a sector-by-sector analysis about a week or so ago. And um, I think any of us, who work in media and finance are incredibly lucky. Yeah, um, it's one of the few industries that doesn't rely. Well, and unless of course you're in groceries as well, because that's just smashing it. Um, but every other industry, if you look in hospitality, tourism, uh, anything that requires personal services, like human to human connection, is is suffering, and that is sort of a, a symbol of the issue right now but it's it's also do you know what it's fascinating looking back in hindsight like I don't think a month or so ago the same people who were calling for everything to be open now would be like they, they would just be their mind would be blown that they would think that at this point in time it's amazing to see how human psychology can change in the space of one month two months and three months mm. um, so it's it's been very interesting to watch that, and I—I I mean, what's your personal take on um, on these, you know, supposed rollout of the lockdowns? Do you think that we're likely to see a second wave, or it's it's, it's just going to be a play it by ear type thing?
1: Yeah, that's that's such a tough one too, right? Because you've got very different, you know, cultural responses to this in, in different countries, and and you know, one of the interesting things, given our you know closeness to some friends in singapore and you know our involvement there is is early on they did what i would consider the right thing very soon and they they started yeah. to be responsible and maybe at the, at the time some people were doing oh well, they've been a bit silly it's you know it's just like this thing we've had before and and as it's evolved elsewhere and you've kind of seen it have a second wave in singapore too and and you you kind of look at that and you think how much worse would it have been if they hadn't been you know very know. scrutinous at the, at the beginning and, and locked it down and, and things and you know hindsight's one of those things you don't want to have to learn from and sometimes you do and and I think there's a few countries at the moment where the next time this happens they won't forget this time because they aren't handling it the way they probably should be and you know that's 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 tough because you know some, some places like Australia we have you know great benefits available to us and and even though the term you know lucky country is often used in jest for Australia yeah. it's actually quite true we are right now the lucky country we have a very low population per square meter um, yeah. cities are thousands of kilometers apart. Um, we don't generally, you know, commute in in high dense trains like they do in other countries and, and things. And and we're very fortunate that we get to live here at this point in time.
0: Yeah. I mean, for for context for Singapore, um, it is amazing to see the numbers now. I was, I'm just looking at um, probably my favorite site for this sort of data, COVID19info.live. Um, in the last 24 hours... 750 new cases. Yeah. That is amazing. I remember when they first locked down, they had a grand total of like a couple hundred cases mm-hmm. and then it just really flatlined. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm keeping a keen eye on what's going on here. I think I think it's likely locally, even though we do have a, a smaller population and we are very lucky, um, that there will probably be another outbreak. I saw the other day that, um, where was it? It was a Faulkner McDonald's. There's a current outbreak and then someone on Twitter is taking a video and the queues in the drive-thru are just round the block with tradies getting their morning coffee. And I'm just thinking, well, it's only a matter of time. May as well catch up with your friends and family now before we're partially locked down again. But um, we'll see. It's going to be, like you said earlier, I think this thing is going to go on for the rest of the year. Um, Now, new ways of working. You're currently uh in the middle of nowhere as you called it before, in the boonies <laughs> uh, <laughs> at your holiday house uh what what do you think is gonna i guess one of the big talking points has been you know how this has accelerated themes that were already happening I mean we had this whole theme of uh corporate workplaces going to sort of work from home. And now, in the space of three months, ex- accelerated ten years worth of actually working from home. What do you see slingshotting back, and what do you think will change forever, at least for Assembly?
1: Yeah. So my 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 technology career kind of started, you know, ten or more years ago. When you say that out loud, you realise how old you are now. But <laughs> but I I've always been remote, and so I've either been part of a, a team where I'm a, an offshoot of the, the HQ. Um, mm-hmm. or I've been, you know, working on my own from home office. And so I've spent a lot of time getting very comfortable with this as a normal mode of operation for me. And I'm capable of working from a park bench or a pub, right? I, I don't really need much beyond a laptop and internet connection. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a bowl of chips every now and then. But <laughs> I think there's, a, there's a lot of people who've really struggled to make that adjustment because they they really enjoy the, the human-to-human interaction in the workforce and they like the banter in the office and they like being next to peers and shoulder tapping people and things. And, and for those kind of people, this has been really tough and it, it doesn't work for everyone. So as you mm-hmm. kind of look at, you know, not just how do we respond to this, which, you know, the response is, all right, everyone get out of the office, everyone work from home. We've got, you know, laptops, we've got internet connections. We're capable of doing this. We all usually do it once a week or once a fortnight or whatever. Anyway, now we're going to do it permanently. And mm-hmm. it's probably been, you know, for the most part, 90% of the company's just gone on with it. And there's been, you know, 10% of, you know, the team we've got who've, had interesting challenges and, and their challenges that at the, the start of going into this, you didn't know were coming that have impacted quite a lot of people like, you know, kids out of school. And so now you've got, you know, two parents working from home doing their full-time job. And now they're also having to teach their kids. And, you know, you look at that and as an employer, you're like, oh man, like I might, I don't have a kid who's school age. She's less than two. And so she runs around screaming, but I don't have to, you know, teach her a curriculum. <laughs> very different at the moment. So yeah. personally, I love this. This is my normal mode of operation. Yeah, thriving. Yeah, I, like this is, this is great, but this is not how most people need to work and things. And, and as we kind of look at, you know, what do we do from here? Being remote first is going to be our normal as a company anyway. And how do we make sure that it works for, for everyone, those that, you know, need that social interaction in the workforce and, and those that are very comfortable, you know, putting the headphones on, locking themselves down for eight-hour stretches at a time to just go and smash stuff out. You know, it, it takes all sorts, as they say. But um, so, we need to make so at a,
0: work for that. at assembly, had you um, had you been working in the office prior, or were you always sort of working from home? Um, no, I was um, in the office yeah, four to four to five days a week. Although
1: at the start of the year, it felt like seven days a week as we were <laughs> dealing with the coronavirus thing for for a bit and traveling a lot. <laughs> but um, but no, I'm usually you know commuting you know a little bit, an hour plus a day. And I think there's a lot of people that, that were doing that and. So for me I've I've gotten at least 2 hours back in my day by the end that I'm not commuting and so that's that's been great I I spend time with my kid now it's you know it's a bit more fun I, I installed a swing for her on the weekend and you know there's a few things we've done that you know my life's you know not not terrible for corona and you feel really bad about that sometimes because you know that there's a lot of people who aren't in the situation you're in and and you know that that's tough and I know I've got people at work who you know have two kids at home they're in a, a small dwelling they live you know a couple of suburbs out from the city, and they don't have a great big backyard and, and things. And and you know that that for for Australia to be our problem is a good problem to have in one hand, but it also impacts our ability to you know think about growth because you've got people who just aren't on that same same track as you.
0: Mm. I, I guess I'm curious from a an industry perspective. I mean, this is um, saying we've been seeing in Adland and the media space is probably a lot of businesses going broke that should have gone broke a while ago, sort of zombie companies that have just existed for a while and restructures yeah. that probably should have been happening two years ago. I guess um, from your perspective, what do you think this will do to the fintech space as a whole? I mean, you're probably thinking more about payments, but I'm thinking about the fintech industry as, uh, as a whole. What's um what's your thought process there?
1: Yeah, so assembly is my, my third startups let scale up in a row and one of the things wow. you kind of get used to when you're doing this um is that businesses are usually only one or two disasters away from extermination so mm. you you're, you're rapidly running at building something you're driven by vision and passion you know you're fueled by coffee you don't have a lot of capital to fall back on. You, you can't afford not to take risks, but you also can't afford to take ones that you can't measure. And, and there's a, a whole dichotomy that exists in that space for you know, growing things rapidly and, and so on. And, and you know, as we kind of you know, look at what COVID-19 is doing to the business and things like that, it is a, it is a very interesting challenge around, you know, how do you continue to grow correctly and not just burn out? And you know, we've got a lot of friends in this space that we know, you know they, they were having challenges last year. And right. it's only be exacerbated this year to the point where you know, you can't help but think who who is going to not come out the other side of this and it's, it's going to yeah. hurt a lot of businesses and you, you, those of them that are your customers you you help them when you can right and it's, it's simple things like give them a discount off their invoice or you know let them pay it a month later or you know help them with a new payment method or you know really practical stuff but it doesn't really push them forward to the point of being able to survive for the next you know six to nine months right and. Mm. And there's a lot of ones we're looking at that you know they were going into this thing cash lean they were probably on their last legs and they were hoping for the next thing and it, it didn't come and mm. i think that's a real tough time for you know the, the startup scene generally not just the fintech scene but anyone who's running rapidly at a passion project I, I really feel for those people right now
0: yeah it's i mean it's very interesting at the moment i mean um uh, one of my favorite subreddits, ASX Bets, which is just ridiculous. It's sort of like a Wall Street Bets, but in Australia. And then uh, I just look at how many people are obsessed with Afterpay and yes. I just wonder about companies like that and, and how many others are there that aren't publicly listed that are in similar situations with whether it be, like you said, uh, the lack of cash they have, the amount of debt they may have on their books, uh, the amount of debtors that they ha- may have on their books that aren't paying. Um, it's. I think we're going to really see the extent of this later on in the year um, and it will be certainly interesting. But um, I'm, I'm realising we're starting to run out of time and uh, I want to jump into some rapid-fire questions. Excellent. So uh, what does your morning and evening routine currently look like? Oh, that's a, that's a depressing
1: thing at the moment um, sitting on the couch with the laptop at either end of the day at the moment um, okay. <laughs> a necessary part of growing a business I think
0: yeah alright if uh, if you had to highlight a purchase under $200 and you could have made it before or after um, but it's something that's helped you during this period could be hobby related could be entertainment related anything really uh, what would you pick and why um I, I got a subscription to Audible. Actually, that's been oh, okay. my favorite thing. I
1: I've got a, a Kindle and I liked the Economist audio. And I thought this audio thing is great. I can do something else while I'm listening. I can you know make dinner. I can clean the house. Whatever. So yeah, Audible. It's been um
0: it's been fantastic. And and you find that you retain a lot of the um the info as well when you're using audiobooks?
1: Yeah. Well, I usually get the the, the Kindle Audible combo because I, I do like to uh-huh. record them and read them later. But but um yeah definitely audio first.
0: Yeah, my partner started doing this thing where she'll read a book and listen to the audiobook at the same time. It actually is like helping her retain more information, which I'm finding very interesting. Nice um, That's clever. Yeah. Um all right, last question for you. If you had to recommend a movie doco T V series, something you've been watching on some sort of streaming service for the last uh you know, in the last couple of months, uh, what would it be and why? Um I've I've been watching Killing Eve.
1: Um, oh yeah and I, I I really like strong female characters and one of my favorite movies is Atomic Blonde and uh, I, I've always loved James Bond films and when I first watched Atomic Blonde I was like holy cow this is like Bond for a new generation this is fantastic um, but it's also something I can watch with my partner and at the moment when you're you know rapidly running and growing a business you don't get a lot of downtime to sit and spend <laughs> with your partner and you know traveling a lot you don't generally see them and at the moment I'm you know I'm working from home but I'm in the garage you know 9 to 10 hours a day anyway so um, mm. things like that have been been great because i know she loves it and yeah i love the whole genre so great
0: killing eve is um god it's 90 percent on rotten tomatoes i've had many people recommend this to me mm. and right. i'm pretty sure i just i bought an apple tv and i'm pretty sure it's available on apple tv mm. I, would, I wouldn't recommend it for younger audiences it's certainly not no. <laughs> <laughs> no definitely not um but i think look most of our audiences are adults anyway so mm. um it looks it looks very interesting. Um, look, Tim, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Um, I avoid the socials because I don't have time for them,
1: but uh, LinkedIn okay. is the one I, I do spend time on because um, I'm, I'm uniquely interested in. But I, I turned my Facebook off actually.
0: Okay, very interesting. Yeah, I've um, I've deleted all the apps and everything. I just um, I probably go back and check on it once every couple of months just to see what's. Happening. Um, I've actually missed a few events from it, but I can't like you know. Based on not using it, I can't complain. Mm-hmm. If a person wants me there, they'll call me. That's that's uh, so what I <laughs> that's what I forget. Although I'm I'm really
1: bad at answering my phone because it rings all the time. But
0: <laughs> um, assembly payments will link as well. But um, Tim Dickinson, thank you very much for coming on the show. No worries. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube by searching GoMarkets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.